The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
want to ask you a question. What do you believe? Seriously, what do you believe? Do you know what you believe? Do you actually know what you believe about anything? Now, those may sound like presumptuous questions, but hear me out. A short time ago, I heard a teacher, Dr. Tim Mackey, refer to a book by a gentleman by the name of Michael Novak. Mr. Novak is a Christian philosopher and a former ambassador to the United Nations Human Rights Commission. Because of where I'm going with this devotional this morning uh, about integrity, uh, I felt like I was needed to check this book out myself, not take Dr. Mackey's word for it. So I decided I was going to buy it on Kindle and read it myself so I could quote it. Checked it on Kindle, and it was over $46, so I decided, you know what, I'll take Dr. Mackey's word for it. <laughs> yeah. I've listened to him for a long time. I've found him to be very reliable, and some others in this congregation do as well. And so I thought, yeah, I'll take his word for it. But anyway, uh, I'm curious, and I'm very serious. I want you to stop with me and truly examine what you believe, particularly what you believe about God and Jesus and your commitment to the gospel. Mr. Novak says that we have three levels of belief. There are public beliefs. Now, these are things that we'll gladly proclaim out in the world. Things like, I believe that the world is round and not flat. Uh, I got kicked out of a flat world society the other day anyway because I asked if uh, anybody had been pushed over the edge by social distancing. And they <laughs> <laughs> and things like uh, the moon's 240,000 miles away and the sun's 93 million miles away and light travels at 186,000 miles a second. You know, that kind of stuff. I also would publicly proclaim that I believe in God. I believe that he has one son, Jesus, and that Jesus came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose from the dead, He's in heaven now and coming back to claim his own. I believe that, okay? I'll state that out in public. In fact, that's what we proclaim every time we partake of this memorial meal. And next, we have our private beliefs. These are the things that we think we believe. For instance, I believe that I'm an honest man. I honestly believe, honestly believe, that I would not keep a nickel that didn't belong to me. But what do you think would happen to my blood pressure if the IRS suddenly announced that they were going to do a detailed examination of all my last 20 returns? You think maybe I'd be a little frightened that they'd find something where I stretch the truth just a tiny bit. Maybe I'm not really an honest man. And then there are your private convictions. Now, I want you to notice the switch in terms. These are convictions. These are things that you will not vary from no matter what. So, how do you find out what those convictions are? Well, like any other hypothesis, you have to test them. Just like a climbing rope. You don't know if it'll hold you or not until you try climbing on it. James says that we should count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. And Peter talks about our faith being tested like gold as it goes through a fire. Whether you realize it or not, we are all being tested. Now we tend to think of testing as going through something that's obviously hard and difficult. We tend to think of spiritual warfare as being when there's some crisis in our life or some great temptation. But actually, some of the hardest testing comes when everything's going swimmingly. Uh, In that case, you're being asked if you really are going to continue to remain faithful to God or if you're going to begin to rely on whatever's going so well, your wealth or your relationships or whatever else. Uh, You know... 
the temptations of this life are constant. And God is questioning whether you're going to be faithful to him in those things. We need to beware of the pull of the world because it can open up lots of temptations. You remember Adam and Eve? They had everything going for them. And they were tempted and they gave in. Moral temptations waiting just around the corner for every one of us. So watch out. If you say you have made Jesus Lord of your life, do your actions match up? And then in this room, we have others that are going through tremendous physical trials. Maybe you're dealing with horrible, excruciating, constant pain. Or maybe you're waiting on the results of a test or a diagnosis. Or you're waiting, trying to figure out what the best course of action is for you to deal with that. Others of us may be dealing with severe emotional pains. Maybe a relationship is breaking up or has already broken up. Maybe you're dealing with uncertainties about your job situation and your future. Still others of us may be dealing with spiritual distress. Maybe you're even asking, is this God stuff and Jesus stuff real? Or maybe you're not sure where God is in all of what you're going through. One way that we can know that our convictions are real is to take a look at our actions. Faith is manifested in faithfulness. Have your actions shown faithfulness? Do they display that Jesus is Lord? God's ultimate goal for us is that our public beliefs, our private beliefs, and our core convictions would all match up. That's called integrity. Integrity is being the same, no matter the circumstances. We read in Revelation chapter 12 that the saints overcame by the testimony, the word of the testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and that they didn't love their lives so much that they weren't willing to die for their convictions. There's an old song that many of you may know, Will Your Anchor Hold in the Storms of Life? The chorus gives us the hope that we find in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock that cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. So, will your anchor hold? Let the Holy Spirit examine you this morning. Are you taking these emblems as a public proclamation that doesn't really mean anything? Or maybe as a statement of what you think you believe? Or is it truly a statement of your core convictions? Father, it is our prayer that those three levels of belief would match up, that we would be people of integrity, that no matter the temptation, no matter the circumstance, that we would be faithful to trust you. Thank you for the gift that shows that Jesus was faithful to you. Thankful, Father, that we can call him Lord of our life, trust you in every circumstance. May we publicly, privately, and with our core convictions proclaim our faith in you and in the saving grace of Jesus' blood. It is in his name that we pray.
I'm sure most of you have been uh, staying up late watching the Olympics or enjoying all of the the fun that's been going on uh, the past couple of weeks. Last night we stayed up watching Caleb Dressel just demolish everyone in swimming. Uh, what a great thing that was. The Olympics in 2000 were held in Sydney, Australia, and you were watching swimming because Michael Phelps was involved, but I doubt you were cheering for Eric Masuambini. 
Eric Maswambini was 22 years old at that time. He, he was competing in the 100-meter freestyle for a country called Equatorial Guinea. Problem. He learned how to swim in January of that year. And he was already in the Olympics. It was part of a little explanation. It was part of a program that the IOC had started was trying to get some of these smaller third world countries involved. And so we're going to do it so you don't have to, to qualify. Uh, you can bring somebody. You can compete in a special way. It didn't really matter. Phelps was going to blow them all out of the water anyway. So it, it was irrelevant. But they got this guy in here, and they had three of them competing in this special heat. And Eric was in the middle, and one guy on each side. And they went to go, you know, on your market set, and one guy dived in before the gunshot. So he's DQ'd, all right? So they get him back out of the water, they get him keyed up again, and get ready for the second one. And Eric and the guy right next to right to him uh, on your market set, and he dives in the water, and he's DQ'd. And so now Eric, having just learned to swim, is swimming in the Olympics by himself, in the 100-meter freestyle. It's one down and one back. And the writers called him uh, charmingly inept. He never put his head under the water. He swam like you and I do at the hotel pool, you know, just kind of <laughs> paddling around, right? So he goes all the way down there. He's coming back. He's part way back. He's just running out of gas. He's, just, he's not doing this, right? And so he just kind of stops, and he's treading water. And at that time, you could have fans in the stands, and they started cheering for him and chanting his name, Eric, Eric. And he found a little muster and he made the last final 15 meters and everybody erupted and cheering. And, and it was a lot of fun. And then they went to interview him with, through an interpreter. This is what he said. I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. It was their cheering that kept me going. I've shared that story before. I, I love it, but it, it makes me understand and it reminds me of some of the challenges we face. How do you deal with challenges? How do you deal with struggles? How do you deal with things not working out? As Scott shared, maybe some of you in here are dealing with physical chronic pain. Maybe you're dealing with depression and, and you can't figure out why or how and where we're going to go. Maybe you're dealing with forgiveness of something that happened to you a long time ago and you're struggling. How do you deal? Especially, how do you deal when what you're dealing with wasn't your fault? It was something that happened to you. Jesus faces some guys in Luke chapter 17. He has an encounter with some guys that have a similar situation. They are dealing with a a problem that was not their fault, and they're struggling with how to deal with this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17. I'm going to invite you to be there with us if you're joining us online or on the radio. Welcome to Central Christian Church. Luke chapter 17, I'll be reading from the New Living, Tr Tr uh, New Living Translation. Now, we say this a lot here. We are a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. We want you to have a Bible or an app in front of you. Because right when I start this story, many of you are going to recognize it. And it's very easy to go, oh, I know this, and tune it out. And I'm, I believe we will be challenged if we're all looking at the Word and being challenged by what God is saying. So join me in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now let's go back and unpack this. This story only shows up in the book of Luke. And it says he was on his way to Jerusalem, to one of the high holy days, to uh, Passover. And a lot of the Jews make this trek every year to go to Passover. Jesus is making it with a different agenda, though. This is his last trip. This is where he's going to die. So he has even a different mindset. And he passes through this area called Samaria. Now, 
many of you have probably heard of that term, Samaritan, and, and different things in Scripture. Why are these guys so hated? Well, Samaria wasn't a country. It was sort of a region, an area. In our vernacular, a county, all right? And it was a county occupied by people that were called Samaritans. Samaritans came from a conflict that had happened hundreds of years before. Assyria came in and conquered the northern kingdom. They took a bunch of them, a bunch of the Jews captive, and they made them slaves back in Assyria. But they left a bunch of them there and said, you will work for us. And some of the Assyrians worked there, and they started intermarrying. And to the Jew, a Jew looking at another Jew that would intermarry with Assyria, with a a pagan country, that was the ultimate betrayal of Abraham. And that happened hundreds of years ago. I mean, generations ago. Somebody that was born a Samaritan had nothing to do with that. But they're still punished for it. And they're looked down on. Isn't it interesting that Scripture, Jesus uses the parable of the good Samaritan? He heals a Samaritan woman. This time it makes note that the guy that came back was a Samaritan. Isn't it interesting that Jesus often uses people that you wouldn't expect? Not the greatest people, not the perfect people, but maybe somebody just around you. I wonder if God is using somebody in your life to teach you a lesson right now. Maybe it's somebody that bugs you. Maybe it's somebody that's annoying to you. Maybe it's not somebody that is cheering for you, but is, is bothering you. Is God trying to teach you a lesson? Is he using that person to teach you something? Jesus goes into this nameless village, doesn't even mention where they're at, and these ten lepers approach him. This was the first use of social distancing. Way before it was a catch term, they were doing it back then. And these people dealt with leprosy. Again, if you've been in church any time, you've probably heard this, but I'm afraid we miss how important this factor is to this story and so many others. Leprosy, as is, and it's often called Hansen's disease, is an infectious bacteria. It comes in usually through the mucus in your nose. It can take up to five years to incubate. It can be in your body for five years. And our latest statistics show us that in 2019, there were 200,000 cases of leprosy worldwide. Yeah, it still goes on even today. This is not just something in the Bible. Now we have treatments for it today, and they can treat it with a multitude of different things. But here's where it comes different. We casually say, oh, leprosy, oh, things just fall off, you know, and that's what it is. It's no big deal. Well, actually, it's a very big deal. It's, it's a disease that affects your nerves. To, it kills them. It kills your nerves so you can't feel anything. If a person that has leprosy can put their hand on a stove and not know it. And not know it's on. You hear what I'm saying? That's where this really becomes a problem. It starts as lesions on your skin, but by that time it's already killing off the nerves in your endings, your feet, and your hands. A lot of these people in biblical times, they slept in, in tents outside the city, sometimes on the ground. And I hate to do this right before lunch, but sometimes animals would come along and they would gnaw on these people and they wouldn't know the difference. And that's why they would wake up and they would be missing appendages. Do you get this? This is a, a very big deal. It's a, and it's an important part of this story. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about it, you don't need to go there right now, but write down Leviticus 13. Leviticus 13, the whole chapter is, oh, it's a fun read. Uh, uh, hear the sarcasm in that. It, it tells all how to deal with this. The scriptural way to deal with this disease is, number one, they could not be in the community. They are immediately cast out of the community. They have to wear torn clothes so that you can see them coming. They, they cannot cut their hair. It has to be long. They have to walk around with their hand in front of their face and yelling out, unclean, unclean, they, so that everybody clears them a wide path. I want you to hear how not only the physical pain that this disease probably had, the mental pain. The second you find out you have something, you're kicked out. You don't get to say goodbye to your mom. You don't get to kiss your wife goodbye. You never get to hug your kids again. And you're stuck outside the city. They treat you as if you're already dead. The mental aspect of this disease, I'm afraid we're too casual about it. What if, 
What if you had to walk around calling out your problems? What if you had to walk around and yelling it out as you walk down the street? Alcoholic, alcoholic, uh, adulterer, adulterer, porn addict, porn addict, gossip. I'm a gossip. Stay away. How would you, how humiliating would that be? That these people were having to do this not as a result of their behavior. Now, in biblical times, they thought if you had a disease that you did something awful. We can see that's not what it was. But do we see people in our world that are outcast for whatever reason? Maybe it is of their own fault. Who cares? Do we love them? You see, I think one of the most important things that we can learn as a Christ follower is when we figure out that serving God and serving the least of these is the exact same thing. They work intertwined. We need to be the people that are looking for the outcasts and looking for ways to encourage them. These guys come up and they, they cry out, have mercy on us. How do you think they asked that? Do you think they whispered it? I mean, seriously, we will read Scripture, and uh, as he entered a village, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at, do you think that's how they talked? <laughs> do you think they got together and they said, hey man, this Jesus is coming through, we got to get his attention. Everybody get in here, on three, one, two, three, let's go. You know, hey, yeah, they're yelling, they're screaming. It makes me wonder, what else have they tried to get well? I mean, think about it. If that was you, and you were separated from your family and your community and your, and your kids, would you not do anything possible to get well? Man, anything you read on the Internet, anybody you talked to, anybody you came in contact with, you got a new lotion, I'll give you anything I can. Maybe it would work. And now they're coming to Jesus. One of the saddest parts of my job as a, as a pastor is how often people come to me and talk to Jesus as a last resort. And, and I'm not griping if you have, okay? I promise. I just, I wish we wouldn't see him as the last resort, but the first line of defense. The battle is yours, God. You go before us. So I'll fight on my knees. His ways are better. I want him, nothing else. Do you hear the songs we're singing? And Jesus' response is really interesting. He says, go see the priest. Now, a little backstory to that. In that time, the priest was the CDC of that time. They declared what was clean and unclean, okay? And they had to, there was a passage, in that passage in Leviticus 13, there was a way, if you got well, if something happened miraculously and you got well, you had to go to the priest, show it, he had to check it, then you had to go through a, a series of offerings to get clean and be able to come back into the home and back into the family. So when Jesus is doing this, he's saying, follow the law. But in Matthew 5, he has another encounter with a leper that he walked up and touched him. He touched this leper, and in doing that, he made himself unclean, except for the minor little detail that he cleansed the leper, and he wasn't a leper anymore. So they really couldn't argue that. And Jesus touched him. Why this time? Why this time did he tell them to go and not touch him? Can I propose something? I propose that he's trying to get these ten people to see that they have got to take some responsibility in their healing. Some part of our healings are done with our knowledge, with our efforts. You remember in the Old Testament there was a story about a guy named Naaman? 2 Kings 5, he was a, an army leader in the enemy army, and he had leprosy. And one of the girls told him, hey, there's this prophet over here. You should go hear him, go see him. So he took a lot of money and a lot of gifts and said, here, heal me. And Naaman wouldn't even come out. He said, go wash seven times in the Jordan. And it made Naaman mad. Naaman wouldn't do it. He's like, well, we got better water in our country. This is ridiculous. And all of his servants came to him and said, man, don't you think if he'd have told you to do something amazing, like stack 72 golf balls, wouldn't you try? Well, wouldn't you do anything? Well, he's asking you to do this little thing. Why don't you do that? And so he did, and he 
got clean and he realized, oh, I am truly a sinner. You are a great man. Your God is the great God. Do you realize that sometimes God doesn't ask us for big things? I want you to go and write this massive song that's going to sell a million. I want you to go preach to a thousand people. I want you to cure poverty and cancer in all of New Mexico. I want you to fix it. Sometimes He doesn't ask us for those things. Sometimes He asks us for simple obedience. He tells these guys, go show yourself to the priest. A simple little thing. Go do that. I wonder, is God telling you to do something simple that you haven't done? You've been hearing it in your head. Man, we, we need to be more regular about our attendance. I, I should be reading my Bible more. I, I really should be doing more about that. One of these days, I'm going to do that. Is, is that this day? Maybe He's telling you, you're hearing, you know what, I need to lose weight. I need to exercise. I need to take a little better care of myself. Maybe I need to... Maybe He's, he's challenging you to tithe better. To be more committed to consistent surrender. Maybe He's, maybe he's challenging you to stop drinking. Some simple thing that He has told you repeatedly you ought to do, and you're not doing your love is better than life. You are better than all of those things. Popularity and pretty and riches, you're better than all of those things. I wonder sometimes, and I'm kind of still trying to flesh this out, I wonder if sometimes my biggest enemy is my inner me. Does that make sense? My biggest enemy is the battle that I have inside of myself. And God's just saying... Follow me. Simple. Simple steps. And I want you to get this. It says in Scripture, as they were walking, as they went, they were cleansed. Did you get that? Jesus could have right then snapped His fingers and they would have all been healed. He's done it before. He did it long distance in other cases. Why didn't He do it right then? He could have healed them right then. But it I believe He did it in the process of obeying. God is cleansing. God is changing. God is moving. But often we can't see it. Friends, hear this. Your marriage did not get messed up overnight. You hear me? And it probably won't get fixed overnight. It's going to be in the process, the day-to-day -day walking. Your drinking habits didn't start overnight. Your drug, your, your spending habits, your lifestyle habits, they didn't start overnight. And they're not going to be fixed overnight usually. I believe God is wanting us and expecting us to walk with Him. It is our spiritual walk. We talk about that all the time. Keep going to work. Keep praying for that spouse. Keep at it. God's plans are often fulfilled in ways we don't expect. And in times we don't agree with. You hear me? Because God doesn't really frequently work on my time clock. Let me, let me restate that. God never works on my time clock. All right? He does not consult me. He does not send me an email and ask my permission. He does what He does at His time. Do you see what all He's doing? This guy, when it says when he saw he was healed, he came back to Jesus. He noticed the change, and some didn't. Do you realize that? How? It is possible to receive from God and really not give Him the glory for it. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, Scripture tells us. And, and sometimes people give Him glory, and sometimes people don't. I wonder, though, how these guys... How could this happen? How could they not notice a finger being there? How could they not notice feeling in their feet while they were walking? How, how do you not notice that? Sadly, I'm afraid this happens way too often. I'm afraid we're, we don't notice all of the things God is doing in our life. Could a lack of gratitude affect how we deal with life. 
I'm not saying let's all get together and link arms and cross our legs and go, mm, and no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, are you aware of all that God is doing in your life? I follow a, a musician online uh, named Josh Wilson, a great musician, Franklin, and I got to see a few years ago. Uh, he started this deal earlier this year, then he confessed during the summer that he fell off and he didn't do it for a while. He was trying to do at least once a week and sometimes three or four times a week three things in the day he was thankful for. This was the one he put out this Monday. I've been able to see the sunrise the last couple of mornings. Number two, we got to see a movie with Asher yesterday, and he was absolutely delighted. That's their son. Number three, I'm going on tour this fall. I'm thrilled to be back on the road. This was just simple little things. The way it's just reminding him to be grateful. Could we do that? I mean, think about how better our day would be if we started the day instead of whining about all that we have to do. What if we started with, okay, you know what? I'm going to say three things that I'm already thankful for. Could we do that? And, and I'm not saying the nebulous ones, all right? Don't send me your text of, I'm thankful for air. I, I am too, okay? Um, good on you. Can we go a bit deeper than that? All right. Thankful for the, the ways that he is working, the things that you have seen. Because hear this and hear this good. Gratitude is not an attitude. It is a choice. I have preached this for years, to have a gratitude attitude. Folks, it's not an attitude. It is an, an intentional, personal choice to be grateful, to be appreciative. I need you to hear me. Hear me good. I need eyes and ears right now. We're about to embark on another school year, and we're excited. The kids are going back to school. Now, sadly, some have seen, and, and we're getting notices that they're going to be wearing these things again. And many people are frustrated at that. I get it. I understand that. But can we be joyous that they're going to school? Because last year at this time, we were planning to go to school, and then it got ripped out from under us, and nobody got to go for a long time. You hearing me? Now, I am not saying you cannot share your opinions. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying, can we find joy instead of the negative? Because people hear us being negative. They, they hear us whining. And I'll tell you who else hears? Your kids. And my kids hear me belly aching and whining and complaining all the time. And it's starting to come out in their mouth. And I'm not happy about my mouth. All right? You hearing me? We're not fantastic parents. We're stumbling through this just like many of you are. And I just, I just want them to learn to be appreciative. Could, could we be the most appreciative people? Yes, it's going to be challenging. Can we find the good in it instead of the negative? Yes, we've got a great country, and we have freedoms here, and I love that we have the freedom to speak. And I want, us to, I want you to have your freedoms to speak, but can we speak positive and not whining? You hearing me? Is this making sense? I want people, when they see us come out of this building, and they see us at restaurants, and they see us in the community, man, those people, there's something different. Because they, they love the Lord, and they're appreciative of everything. Friends, if you want more refreshing in your desert times, in your desert life, if you want more joy, if you really want to learn how to deal with the things that are going on in your life, be this guy. Be this Samaritan. Look at what is happening to you. You realize that changes are happening. Be grateful for those and do what he did. You have the power to make a difference this week in our schools, in our families, in our community, and in your social media posts. You have the ability to be the positive one. Let's be that. And one other thing I want you to get out of him. The most powerful response to desert dryness is worship. This guy, he had no hope. He had no future. He had no prospects. And suddenly the world is open to him. He could run home and hug his kids. He could run home and kiss his wife. He could talk and check on his mother. But his first choice is fall at the feet of the one that changed things. Now let me ask you this question. Is his life perfect now? Can I tell you it probably wasn't? I mean, play this scenario out. You've been outcast for a long time. Suddenly you come running back into town. Hey, I'm back. Who's going to be the first to hug him? 
uh, good to see you, man, way over there. I mean, isn't that what we're going to do? And he's a Samaritan, so he's already hated by most of the community. He's trying to find a job. He's trying to get back into life. Everything is going to be different. It's not perfect. But he chose worship first. He chose the process of worship, falling at his feet, because he saw that's where the power was. Something the others didn't get around to doing. Where are the others, Jesus asks. Is he demanding that we bow down and, and worship him? Actually, no, I don't think so. I think he's asking, where are the others? Have they seen what has happened? Have they really got what is going on? Friends, spiritual maturity is when we stop making excuses and start making changes. And it's our responsibility, yours, each of us. It's not wander into church once or twice a month. It is taking the on-purpose intentionality of drawing into His presence. Do you realize when Jesus was healing people, it wasn't a party trick? Ooh, Jesus, do some more of those tricks. When He healed people, it was for the purpose of showing His authority. Look, He is the real deal. Even disease runs from this guy. That's how powerful He is. He is truly Messiah. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Is it? Are we putting Him really truly first in the morning in everything we do? One more thing. In the New Living Translation, verse 19, it says, Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. In the New American Standard, it says, your faith uh, has made you well. But in the actual Greek translation, a better understanding of that word is, of that phrase is, your faith has saved you. you hear a difference? There were ten of them that were healed. But one of them was saved. That's powerful. Now what happened to the other nine? We don't know. Scripture does not tell us, and we're very quick to gripe at them, all right? Maybe they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Maybe they went to the priests. We don't know if they were all Jews. Maybe they were some Jews, some Samaritans. Maybe they were all nine Jews. Maybe they went straight to the priest. The priest was stunned. They went and got the offering, and they ran home to their, their wife and kids. Maybe they did. We don't know. We don't know exactly what they did. But there were lives changed. And the one was saved. Friends, real faith is grabbing onto and hanging onto everything that God has done in your life and everything that He has said in His Word and living my life that way. When He has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, will never be alone. And He said, you're going to have trouble in this world. Do we remember that one? <laughs> Don't worry, I've already overcome this world. Are we hanging on to those words and how He has worked in your life. The blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, that's how we will overcome. Friends, you want to learn how to deal with what you're dealing with. You want to learn how to deal with your challenges, your singleness, your chronic pain, your struggle in your marriage. Listen to this guy. Live grateful. Live obedient. And He will bring streams of refreshing water into your desert heart. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.